I'm going to get started. I have the pleasure of introducing our guest speaker and guest pastor. Um, I was, you know, I wrote out like what to say like four times. And, but the truth is, you know, we're running good on time right now. And so I'm just going <laughs> to wing it because um, I have about 10 minutes till he's scheduled to speak. I, I, anybody who knows me is like really scared right now that Britain's just going to talk straight for 10 minutes. But, um, you know, uh, we're a church that cares deeply about um, foster care. And so if you're here for the first time or maybe you don't know that about us all the way yet, I'd rep- I really love telling you why. Um, a little bit, just to put it in context, because otherwise it seems like we only talk about foster care, (laughs) and I get embarrassed, um, (laughs) and it's not the only thing we care about. Uh, Todd and I moved here in 2010, and I had never heard of Santa Rosa before, if I'm completely honest, and I thought we were moving to obscurity. That's what it felt like. (laughs) Moving to Santa Rosa felt like moving to obscurity, and then for the first five years that we we're here, I also felt like my life was being lived in obscurity, if I'm completely honest. Like, I had no idea what the Lord was doing in my own personal life. And uh, when, about six years after being here, I have um, heard about Royal Family Kids Camp and stood in front of church and invited anybody who was willing to go with me because I was very socially nervous about going to serve at a camp for foster youth and having no experience in that. Um, I invited anybody who was willing to go with me to go with me. And seven of us went, and then we came back from camp and we shared our experience with um, the foster youth of Sonoma County. And the truth was that once we saw kids in person, who were just like our kids, um, that we were deeply moved with compassion, and then you heard our stories, and then the next summer, 35 of you went and volunteered at Royal Family Kids Camp. And ever since then, um, we've continued to make small, faithful, um, consistent service, um, and year over year over year, um, there is nothing small or insecure or insignificant or um, obscure about this church's impact on the foster care system, not just in our own county, um, but beyond, throughout the Bay and beyond. And um, every time I think of the impact that this group of people has had, I also am very aware that I think most of you actually have no idea. Like, I really genuinely have no idea what faithfulness over time um, has meant in Bay Area foster care, um, from this body specifically. You've given faithfully to Care Portal for four years since they started in Sonoma County. And Care Portal testifies of Sonoma County's faithful giving to Care Portal throughout the whole Bay. Um, You've sent dozens and dozens of volunteers to Royal Family Kids, and the directors of Royal Family Kids Camp and Track um, consider Refuge one of its foundational um, supporting churches. Uh, We send more volunteers, I think, in total than uh, the other four churches that are involved currently. Um, 
you've helped families minister and serve and welcome seven youth um, into their homes in our own community. Maybe you don't know that. Maybe it doesn't look like we've done anything. <laughs> um, and uh, you've helped Todd and I sustain um, support and care and love and family and stability uh, for a now 19-year-old for five years. Um, and this is your, <laughs> this is your heart. It, we have volunteers who have now volunteered with camp for more than five years. They just got their five-year pins uh, for volunteering with Royal Family Kids. And so when we talk about foster care and opening our homes, you know, Foster the City is solely focused on raising up new families and wrapping current fostering families with support. And sometimes it can feel like we're not doing anything. And I am telling you, I'm front lines of this work. I do this work every day. And I also have to be reminded that what we're doing is not nothing. Um, last week, though, the week before last, Sonoma County um, Department of Children and Family Services actually contacted me. And they normally have 10 kids waiting at our intake center for homes. And that's like an average that they've had for the last, um, uh, like previous two or three years, is somewhere between eight and 12 kids waiting for homes. And they've had an average of 20 kids waiting for homes for the last six months. And they specifically told me about a 15-year-old boy who's been there for 91 days. And it's from no fault of his own. He has stable, loving family that comes and visits him every weekend, but they, are not, uh, they can't be his c consistent household. And they call a faith-based organization to ask if there are any believers, any families willing to welcome him. You know, th those are the calls I'm getting every single week. So if it seems like we talk about foster care too much, I promise you I would do it every Sunday. <laughs> I will do it anytime you want. I'll meet with you and talk about what's happening. Um, but it is so deeply close to my heart. And the biggest surprise to me is that it's become a part of yours. And so our Foster City advocate, Melissa Nelson, um, asked if Philip Pattison would come speak today. And I'm so embarrassed that we haven't had you here in four years that I really probably should have <laughs> invited you sooner. Um, so thank you, Melissa. If you don't know, um, every uh, we're one of 16 uh, Foster the City churches in uh, Sonoma County. It's amazing. We just launched at the Promise Center like a couple weekends ago. There are six families that I think are going to open their homes and start the foster care process. It is really, really exciting uh, what's happening in Sonoma County. Um, Melissa Nelson um, is our church, is our advocate. Um, Katie Flynn was on a team with her until they moved away uh, recently. I would love to add a team member to her team if you're interested in um, being an advocate at our church. And so that <laughs> leads me to Philip. So Philip and I met back in 2015. Um, we had actually called Foster the City when Todd and I started fostering because our first experience fostering was so hard. <laughs> uh, we realized like we needed a structure in the church to support anybody who would want to do this. And that's how we found Foster the City. And um, uh, Spring Hills had actually reached out to Foster the City and invited them to, to start, start up here. Anyway, there were churches excited. We called Philip. Char and I went, went and met with Philip. 
Um, Char was a little late, so Philip and I talked. I feel like I vomited my whole story on him, which is not abnormal. He knows, everybody knows, it's not a big deal. And um, we, Char and I were standing outside of um, where we met after Philip left, and Char goes, it's too bad you can't go work for them. And two weeks later, Philip called me and, and offered me a job. He was my boss for a year and a half, I think, two years. Uh, he's an amazing boss and, and a wonderful leader. He leads a team of mostly women, and it is not easy. <laughs> no offense to women, <laughs> but it's like a really, he puts up with a lot. Like, I'm always impressed. Um, and he's a pastor. He's a father. He's an adoptive. Uh, he's a foster and adoptive father. Um, he's done, you know, when, I, when he said he was coming and we were talking, I'm like, this is a church of young families. And sometimes I get really protective of you guys because you're raising small kids and you're always doing the most. You're always doing the most. And <laughs> Philip's family, you're going to hear all of him. He'll explain all the things uh, about him, and I don't want to steal any of his thunder. But he also is recently 40, raising small kids, and he's uh, been a foster parent. So I can't wait for you to hear from him. Um, let me pray as Philip comes up. Lord Jesus, uh, thank you for this time. God, um, I uh, thank you so much for, um, for Philip and what you've, um, how you've carried him through his whole life and what you've been doing in his family um, since before he ever knew and what you've been doing in him since before he ever knew. God, I pray that you would um, fill him with your spirit, that you would um, open our ears to hear uh, from you God, would we be moved with compassion in a way that um, is earnest to your spirit and um, not out of guilt or any, any other motivation? Lord, um, thank you for the testimony of what you are doing, and um, we are excited to see what is next. In Jesus' name, amen. I really love Britain. Um. <coughs> Seriously, I really love Britain. Um, and she's like, this is just a little side note, she's like the, one of the funniest people I've ever met. Um, I just am so, so grateful. I, I, I was, as I was worshiping um, with you all, I was thinking about it. This doesn't really make sense, and maybe it doesn't mean anything, but I, I just feel a, a, a real deep affection for this church. I've never been here on a Sunday. I've never worshiped with you. It's been, but it's been years of, in a, in a sense, kind of running alongside you, and I just feel a great affection for this community. And I'm really glad you're here, and I'm I just praying the best for this community and that um, Santa Rosa, Sonoma County would never be the same as a result of your community being here in this time and place. And um, it was, uh, as Britton said, um, several years ago that I, we, I first got a chance to connect with the leadership here at Refuge and with Britton. We were sitting at a coffee shop and got a chance to chat for a long time. And I just remember walking away from that. We weren't even, I don't know if we, we were even launched here in the North Bay at the time. It was one of the, Refuge was one of the very first churches we talked with. And just thinking, I walked out of that, drove away, just thinking, I, we have got to work with them. There's got to be a way. And so I reached out to Char, and I said, man, is it okay if I reach out to Britton? Because I knew Britton was already deeply engaged here at the church. I didn't want to poach. But I was like, is there any way that I could ask Britton to possibly join our team? And he said, of course you can. And so I'm just so grateful. I, I hope you know, um, as Britton was saying, I was actually planning to mention to you guys just how much of an impact this church has had. She already said it so well. But I hope you know that like, your impact has gone far beyond four walls 
far beyond the community here. Like, you guys have led the way in so many ways in the North Bay on behalf of vulnerable kids. And even beyond that, across the Bay Area, now the Bay Area and beyond, there are, there, are, there are kids and families, there are churches that are stronger and healthier and have a much stronger DNA for kids and families in crisis because of this community and because of that woman right there. So, bless her and bless you guys. Um, <clears throat> um, but as Britton said, my name is Philip. I'm with the Foster City team. Um, really, really grateful to be here. I'm stoked to have a conversation uh, tonight that uh, I think is really near to the heart of God. Um, and because it's near to the heart of God, it's near to the heart of John and the leadership and, and this church in general. Um, uh, but Britton already kind of actually mentioned the word a couple times. Today I want to talk about compassion. Um, I want to ta- talk about the remarkable compassion of God. Okay? The remarkable compassion of God. Uh, and just so we're on the same page right at the gate, let me tell you what I, what I mean when I say that. Um, let's look at the word compassion real fast. So if you, if, you, if you take that word compassion and you break it down, you have com, C-O-M, and then you have passion. Right? The word passion, we know, means to suffer. Com, C-O-M, means with. So to suffer with. That's what compassion means. It's to, it means to, to move towards, to, to stand with those who are suffering. That's what compassion means. And again, we know that this is something that's really near to the heart of God, isn't it? Um, if you open up the scriptures, which we've done already tonight, um, it's, very, it's really clear. Okay, if you open the scriptures, it's clear that God loves every man, woman, and child across Santa Rosa, across the Bay Area, right? It's God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only. He loves everybody. We know that. He wishes that none would perish, but that all would come to repent. He loves everybody. And yet... It's also clear when you open up the Bible that there are some people that have a special place in his heart. He loves everybody, but there are some people that, like, make the top of his list. Uh, Maybe that feels sacrilegious to say that. Um, But if you open up the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, you see it. It's the the orphan. It's the widow. It's uh, the the sojourner, the, the immigrant. And it's the poor. You see it all through Genesis to Revelations. Those who are uh, without protection, those who are in need, those who are um, vulnerable, those who are far from home, they they have a special place in God's heart. You see it all throughout the scriptures. Just look at one passage with me. Psalm 82. It says this. It says, Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. That is one of dozens and dozens and dozens of scriptures all throughout the Bible that make it absolutely crystal clear what God's heart is towards the vulnerable. Uh, Because that right there, the remarkable compassion of God, because that has been a defining characteristic of God, that has been a defining characteristic of God's people since the very beginning, for the last 2,000 years. I could give you countless examples, but did you know that the first known hospital in every nation across the globe was started by the church? Do you know that? Isn't that cool? The first known hospital in every nation across the globe was started by followers of Jesus. If you look at um, education reform and, and, and prison reform and women's rights and the abolition of slavery and, and civil rights, they all trace their roots back to the church. They all trace their roots back to followers of Jesus. That's our legacy. And the same is true of foster care. Um, Anybody heard of a guy named Charles Brace? Charles Loring Brace? Anyone? Okay, all right. Uh, Charles Brace was 
born in the, the 19th century, northeastern part of the U.S. Um, he, he grew up in a Christian home, and he was young. He placed his faith in Jesus. And one day as a teenager, he was sitting in, in church, uh, listening to a message from a pastor. And the pastor said something that just became this, like, uh, defining moment in his life. This kind of radically impacted his life. This is basically what the pastor said. I'm going to paraphrase, but this is basically what he said. He said, you know, <clears throat> when you uh, stop to remember, when you stop to consider all that God has done for us in our times of need, all the ways that he's met us with compassion when we were in need, when we see those in need around us, it's impossible for us to believe that we don't have some level of responsibility to do something. I kind of butchered that. Can I do it again? Can I say it again? All right. <laughs> uh, when, we, when we stop to remember all that God has done for us in our need, when we see those in need around us, it's impossible for us to believe we don't have some level of obligation, some level of responsibility to do something. So again, that, it just made sense to Charles. So a few years would go by, he went to uh, go live in New York City. He was in, went to seminary. He was going to become a pastor. He was in Bible school. So, uh, and he's in his mid-20s uh, in Bible school. Uh, and one day he went for a walk. Just a little away from his seminary, went through a walk to the streets of New York. Walked into a neighborhood called Five Points. Five Points at the time was a neighborhood known for its crime and its gang violence and its prostitution, its poverty. And he said he walked into that neighborhood and his heart just broke. His heart melted. Because what he saw in front of him in Five Points uh, were a bunch of kids. Just these kids living in squalor, living in these really broken, unhealthy environments. And he, when he walked in there and he saw those kids, his mind went back to what his pastor had said those years before. And he realized, in light of all the ways that God had met him when he was in need, he had to do something with what he was seeing. And so he did. Again, at the age of 27, he got some of his buddies together. And they started what they called um, uh, the Children's Aid Society, which, by the way, is still going on today, like 150 years later. Uh, the Children's Aid Society started all kinds of programs that dealt like at a, at a systemic, like a root level with what they were seeing in front of them. So, um, for example, they started the first ever free school lunch programs. Uh, they started uh, free dental clinics for kids. They started... Um, uh, uh, they started uh, schools for kids who were disabled. They started the first ever PTA, Parent Teachers Association. Came from Charles Brace and the Children's Aid Society. Isn't that cool? But most notably, uh, they started what we call here in America foster care. So they would help these kids who were living in these really broken, unhealthy environments find a stable home to live in while their biological family took the steps to create a healthy environment and then the family was, was, was restored back together. What morphed and evolved from there became what we call in America fo uh, foster care. So you, you hear me like, foster care was started by a Christian. Foster care was started by a pastor with the motivation that, that in light of all that God has done for us, we now get to do the same for others around us. We get to welcome them in in their time of need. Isn't that awesome? I think that's pretty awesome. <laughs> like, guys, that's our history. That's the history of God's people. That's the history of the church. This is our legacy. Um, it's not just foster care, though. The, the same is true with adoption. You might, have, you might have heard these stories in the past. This is pretty, pretty common knowledge nowadays, but we have historical records that tell us 
that, that described to us an early Roman, Roman tradition. When a, when a child would be born into a Roman family, often what would happen is we would take the child and they would place the child down at the feet of its dad. And if the father stooped down and picked up the child in his arms, the child was uh, celebrated, legitimized, welcomed into that family, which is beautiful. Uh, that's actually where we get the term raising our kids is from that tradition. Um, the problem is, sometimes the dad didn't stoop down and pick up the kid. Maybe the child was sick, uh, or, or um, maybe the child wasn't uh, the preferred gender of that day. Maybe the child was born out of wedlock or adultery. But if for whatever reason the dad didn't stoop down and pick up the child, they, they would take the kid outside of the city and it would be left alone to die. It was a completely common legal, acceptable practice at the time. They called it infant exposure. You know, one of, one of a few things would happen to, to the baby when they would leave it out, out on the streets outside of the city. Either obviously the, the baby might die from starvation or from, you know, wild animals. Or number two, it might be picked up by slave traders. It was common for slave traders to go around outside the city and find these kids and then sell them off into slavery, especially because so many of them were girls. But we also have historical records that tell us how early followers of Jesus responded to that. Uh, historical records tell us how followers of Jesus would go outside of the city at night and they would walk up and down the streets listening for the cries of kids. And when they'd find these kids, they would, they would pick them up and they'd bring them back into their own homes and they would raise them up as their own beloved sons and daughters. Guys, that's our legacy as a church. That's the torch that we get to carry on today. Like, that, that wasn't just meant to be what was once true of us in the early church. That was meant to be indicative of who we are today. As Britain so, so well described, that is, that is who refuge is becoming more and more. The difference, though, is you and I don't have to walk up and down the streets of Santa Rosa listening for the cries of children, right? <laughs> the state of California has told us where we can find them. Um, it was about eight years ago, um, early 2015, uh, I, was, uh, <coughs> I was pastoring a, a little church. Uh, um, a, about a, we were meeting in a senior center, tiny little congregation, um, and my, uh, my wife and I had just become foster parents. And we were talking as a little congregation, like, what do we want to do in our community? We can't do a lot. There's only a handful of us, but what, what do we want to do? And we decided, hey, what, what if we were to move towards kids and families in foster care? And so we came up with these, these different ways that we could do that as a congregation. And we brought out some social workers to the church. This is back in February of 2015. And we, we stood and we let the, the social worker share about some of the needs in our area in, regarding foster care, some ways that people could get involved. And then we stood up and we reminded the, the church of the gospel. We reminded them about what God had done for us and how he brought us into family when we were in need. And he gave us hope for a future. And we said, now we get to do, we love because he first loved us. We get to do the same for those around us. And as we were sharing the gospel, I can still picture it. The social worker was standing in the back to my left. She was just listening to our conversation. And she was moved by this small congregation that wanted to help ki kids and families in their community. And so she went back to the county building. And she started sharing with other social workers. She said, you got to hear what, like, I got to experience, like, the next few weeks, she started just telling people, there's this little church that wants to do some stuff, and they're, they're taking some steps, and, and they were just really moved by that, 
And so they came back and they met with us, and, and, and she said, um, hey, Philip, like, we're pretty, we're, we're stoked. She didn't use the word stoked, but we're, we're, ex- <laughs> we're, we're excited to, to, to work with you all, and that's, that's going to be great. She said, but the reality is, um, she said, the reality is uh, we are in a crisis, and the crisis is a little bit bigger than your church. Um, she said, today there's far more kids coming into foster care than we have homes that are ready to care for them and receive them. She said, do you think that there are other churches, do you think there are other pastors, other congregations that would want to do the same thing? What if there are more churches out there that would want to come and work with us and find homes for these kids? And she said, do you think you can help us rally some churches? And they're like, we can try. Um, Guys, over the last years, eight years rather, the last eight years, it has been one of the greatest joys of my life watching the way pastors like John and Char, leaders like Britton, Congregations like Refuge have responded to that invitation. As Britton said, we, you know, we started with a little church meeting in a senior center. Today, there's almost 270 churches all across the Bay Area and beyond that are, that are <laughs> linking arms together and raising up foster families and raising up support for foster families. And we're going to keep doing it, by the way, until there's more than enough to meet the need. We're not going to stop. Our vision is one day there's going to be a waiting list of families rather than a waiting list of kids in need of a home. That's our, that's our hope and our dream. And our hope is that the church will be on the front lines of making that happen. Um, and I do hope that the work that God has been doing in and through Refuge would just continue. That it would continue to make a difference for kids and families, but also in such a way that like, the watching world would look in at Refuge and just sit and wonder. And, and ultimately, that, that as you guys are moving towards kids and families, that, that ultimately they see Jesus in you. Um, and I do hope that some of you would, would, would want to get involved in some new ways, some bigger ways. So I'll tell you more in just a few minutes how you can do that. But I do want to share with you, if I could. Actually, before I even say that, let me pause for a minute. Brent's talked about foster, foster care. I'm talking about foster care. Let's just put, the, uh, put it on the table here. Foster care is not for everybody. Can we, can we name that? You can take a breath if you want. Foster care is not for everyone. Um, but here's the deal. If you are a follower of Jesus, remarkable compassion is for you. That, act, that actually is not up for debate. That's part of what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus lived a life of remarkable compassion. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are called into a life of remarkable compassion. Foster care is one expression of that. There are many, many ways that he could be calling you into that. So what I want to do, like, for the next few minutes is I'd love to share with you just kind of a few of, like, the, the core beliefs that have really, like, shaped who Foster the City is and kind of driving us forward. But here's the deal. These three things I'm about to share with you I think can be kind of a foundation for any expression of compassion that God might call you into. So even if foster care is not your bag, it's not on your radar, stay with me because I still think that this can be possibly meaningful. Okay? We good? All right. So here, here are the... Here, here are the three core beliefs that are really driving this forward. The first is this belief that every person has intrinsic value. Every person, every man, woman, and child across Santa Rosa, across the Bay Area, on God's green earth, <laughs> has, has intrinsic value, matters to God. There are a lot of kids in this church. It was pretty amazing um, seeing how many kids were in these pews. Um, Britton and I were talking about, she's like, it's almost a one-for-one. One. There's a lot of young families here, which is just beautiful and super fun. If you're a young family, if you're a young parent here, or parent to young ones, 
Um, let me talk to you for just one minute. Um, when you have a little one, a baby that, uh, that cries, that is reaching out for help, right? crying out, reaching out for something, and you, mom, when you go in and you meet that baby, you pick up that little one, and you hold her close, and you provide the warmth that she was looking for, or you feed that little one, or you rock her to sleep. You, when you meet that baby in her need, we're learning a few things about what's happening inside that child's brain. You probably know this better than I do. Some things are being actually taught to that child when you go and you meet that child in its need. What it's learning is a couple things. Number one, it's learning I matter. I'm valuable. I'm loved. And number two, that there's someone out there that I can trust. The baby's learning two things. I matter, and I can trust you. That's what, that's what research is, is, is teaching us about what's happening in that child's brain. It's shooting off inside their brain when you meet their need. On the flip side, when a child cries and is reaching out for help, and that need is not met, nobody comes and meets that child in its need. Or perhaps they, they respond to that cry with anger or frustration. Some other things are shooting off in that child's brain. They're being taught, you don't matter. You are not lovable. You are not loved. You're not valuable. And you, you, you can't trust me. You can't trust somebody to come and meet your need. We're also learning that regardless of what has been taught to you in your youngest of years, when these things are being enforced, reinforced, is that as you get older, even if you've had some negative things reinforced to you, your brain can actually relearn what is true. Your brain can actually be retaught as people come and meet you later in life, and they come and meet you in your need. And they build that trust, and they remind you that you matter, that your brain can actually relearn what is true. For the last eight years, I have seen families like the Kindles who have met young people in their need, and have day in and day out reminded them what is true. You are loved, and you matter, and you can trust me, and more importantly, there's a God that you can trust. They have reminded their son what is true, that he matters, that he is valuable. Because, you know, in Genesis, it says that, again, the, our, my brother, the worship leader here, was just praying this. We are, we are image bearers of the living God, the book of Isaiah says that we are precious to God in his sight. We matter to God, don't we? In, in Ephesians, um, I think it's chapter 1, it says that God spoke us forth from before the foundation of the world. Think about that one for a minute. He spoke you forth from before the foundation of the world. That means that that moment when your mom and your dad came to, we've got some younger ears here, so I'm going to keep this PG here. But when your mom and dad came together and you were put, it's gross to think about, when you were conceived, if, if Ephesians 1 is true and he spoke us forth, that moment when your mom and dad came together and you were conceived, some of the people are having to talk tonight, and I'm sorry about this, guys. Um, <laughs> that means that that was second in your story. What came first was that you were birthed in the heart of God before time and space began. 
Isn't that amazing? I have a buddy, um, I have a buddy who, uh, I'm going to try to get past that here. Um, <laughs> uh, I have a buddy who, um, who he's on, our, he's on our, uh, our council for Foster the City. His name is Krish. He tells a story about um, one day when he got, a, he got a call for a child who needed a placement in his home. He was a foster dad and got this phone call from some social workers. He said, we got a little boy who needs a placement. He already had kids in the home. So he's like, well, hey, can you tell me a little bit more about, about this uh, young man before we say yes to him? We want to make sure that this little guy is going to be a good fit for our family, and we're going to be a good fit for him. Um, and they said, well, we don't know much about him yet. He's, he's brand new to the system. Uh, we know one thing, though. We know he's a biter. <laughs> My buddy's like, well, what does that mean? Like, what does he bite? And he said, uh, he said, he's like, I'm not sure I want to take in a biter. But then he, then he, then he said, as, as soon as that thought hit me, all of my theology started flooding back into my mind. He said, I realized that the term biter is an incomplete description of a child. The term biter is an inadequate, incomplete description of a human being. You know why? Because... Um, because you're more than the worst things you've done. Right? And you're more than the worst things that have been done to you. Right? You matter to God. You're valuable to Him. And again, He didn't just, this isn't just sentiment. These aren't even just, this isn't even just ink on a page in the scriptures. Like, He proved it. God, God proves His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loves you. You matter to him. And the same is true for every man, woman, vulnerable child across the Bay Area. They matter to God. Um, that brings me to the second core belief. Here's the second. And it's, it's that their story is our story. Okay, these kids' stories, they, they're, they're my story. And I'm a little bit biased here, I know, but he, there may be no time in your life when you are more like God than in the moments when you open up your heart and your home to a child. When you open up your heart and your life to someone who's in need. Because that's exactly what he did for us, didn't he? There was a time in, in my life when I was, um, I felt absolutely alone, and I felt wounded, beat up, and I was hurting, and I felt like because of all of the junk from my past, all of the the scars and the wounds from my past that I had lost any hope for my future. I remember it like it was yesterday. And when I was at my lowest and my darkest place, God met me there and he brought me into his family. He gave me hope. Is that your story too? Again, going back to Ephesians 1, my favorite verse is in Ephesians 1. It says this. I've got it up here. It says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. I love that verse. Let's read that again. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. Why? Because of our goodness, because of our greatness, because of all that we did? No, because through Jesus Christ. It's what he wanted to do, and it gave, listen, it wasn't plan B, plan C, plan D, plan E, it was plan A. It's what he wanted. He planned in advance to do it, and it gave him great pleasure. I, I don't know, I don't know most of you, um, 
so I don't know if you maybe you're newer to refuge or you've been here and you're exploring things or maybe you've got some doubts and you're here trying to figure out who Jesus is or Christianity, is this all true, is this not? Maybe you're even at the place in your journey like, even if there is a God, even if there is, would he want someone like me? After all the things I've done, after all the things I continue to struggle with, would he even want someone like me? If that's you today, I beg of you to read this verse. Not only is God willing to bring you into his family, it's what he wants to do. It's what he wants to do. And if you were to come into his family, become his son or his daughter, it would bring him great joy, great pleasure to welcome you as his daughter, as his son. Um, I feel like as a, as a foster dad, as adopted dad, I feel like I've gotten just like a tiny, tiny, tiny little glimpse of the, just the beauty of this, the, this verse. These kids that have come into our home have, have, have brought just tons of joy, uh, lots of laughter, lots of um, just sweet, sweet memories. Um, the most recent little one that we had in our home, um, that we brought into our home, we brought her in when she was two and a half months old. And uh, we ended up fostering her for um, four years. Four years. And uh, unlike the kiddos we'd fostered in the past who had all, you know, returned back home or restored back with their families and are doing well, um, this little one we found out wasn't going to have, we found out she wasn't going to have a chance to to go back home. She didn't have a home to return to. And so after four years, we moved from being her, her foster family to her forever family. And we got to adopt her. Um, I, do we have a picture? I can't remember if I put it on. There, there it is. That's, a, that's my family there. Um, that's right during COVID. So it was uh, right in the, uh, we did our adoption sermon in our living room. But that little one right there in the middle, um, isn't she cute? Um, we, we had the opportunity to adopt her. Um, can I tell you a story? I don't ever share this but, um, publicly, but um, when my wife and I were first married, we, you know, we had no kids, and we had no life, you know, so we, we would read together at night, um, you know, in bed, we'd read, and one of the books we read was we read the Chronicles of Narnia uh, series together. It seemed like a Narnia type of group. Um, I mean that as a compliment, of course. Um, uh, the, um, so we were like, hey, that's like a great number of kids that have four kids, just like the Pevensey kids, right? We're like two boys, two girls. That sounds beautiful, right? Early on, early 20s, like that sounds, one day that'd be awesome. And wouldn't you know it, we had um, boy, girl, boy, just like the Pevenseys. We had our little, we had our Peter and our Susan and our Edmund. We didn't name them that. We're not that Narnia. But <laughs> we, had, we had our Peter, Susan, and Edmund, but we were missing our Lucy. We were missing our Lucy, right? The littlest of the Pevensey. So we would talk all the time throughout our, our, our marriage. Like, we got to, you know, one day we think God's going to bring along our, our Lucy. Um, so when we got a call from the county and said, hey, there's a little one that needs replacements. And we brought her in her home. Guys, guess what her name was? It was Lucy. <laughs> and it turns out that that's the little one that actually needed a forever home. And so right there in the middle, that's our little Lucy. Um, do you know what the name Lucy actually means light? And that's what she's been to our family. She's been an absolute source of delight and joy. She comes out of her room every morning. I'm sitting in my chair, and I'm doing my quiet time with my family room. I got this chair I always sit in. And she comes in, and she plops on me and totally interrupts what I'm doing. And it's awesome. And when I think about just the way that I feel about that little girl, when I see her waddle towards me, and the joy that I have in my heart that she is a part of my family, 
And I think that God sees me that way. Isn't that incredible to think about? He has infinitely more love for me than I have for that little girl. It's incredible to think about. God would, God wants to welcome him in his family. It would bring him great pleasure. Um, but here's the deal. God bringing us into his family not only came with pleasure, it came with something else, didn't it? It came with sacrifice. Um, Hebrews, uh, my home church this morning, we were studying out of Hebrews 12. And in Hebrews 12, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. There's joy when we come into his family. There's also a cross. In the same way, when you and I show remarkable compassion, like God showed a remarkable compassion to us, when you and I show remarkable compassion, there will always, always, always be a cost involved. Um, when people hear that we foster, um, or that we w- we're with the Foster the City team, like, oh, that's so cool that you guys do that. I can never do that. <laughs> we hear that all the time. <laughs> um, like, isn't it hard? Like, what if the kids that come into your home, like, misbehave? Right? Maybe they come from different backgrounds or something. Like, what if, what if they don't follow the rules? And what if they cause trouble? What if it's hard on your biological kids? Isn't it hard? Do you want to know the answer to that? Yes, it's hard. <laughs> Absolutely. It can be really. Do the kids act out sometimes? Sometimes. Here's the deal, though. We all act out of the trauma that we've experienced in life. Every person in this room, you act out of the hard things that you've, you've walked through in your life to some, to some degree. The reality is, for a lot of these kids, um, they've experienced significantly more trauma than you and I ever have in a lot of cases. So sometimes they do. Not always, but sometimes. And on the other hand, people are like, uh, man, isn't it hard? Like, what if you fall in love with the kids? What if they come into your home and, and they like become like a son or a daughter to you and then one day you get a phone call and they just get picked up and they go back home and you never see them again? Like, isn't that hard? You want to know the answer to that? <laughs> I always say, yes, I'm not a robot. Yes, it is hard. The, the first little one that we brought into our home, she was, uh, she was four months old. Beautiful little girl. We had her for about a year in our home. She very quickly became like a, a, a daughter to us, like a sister to my biological kids. Um, she took her first steps in our living room. Right, she, her, she said her first words uh, were calling me dada. She called my wife mama. Um, we, we, we fell in love with, she was a part of our family. Um, but over that year that we were falling in love with her, we were also getting to know her biological parents. And there was, there was a reason why uh, their little girl was with us. But during that year that she was with us, like, they were doing everything that they possibly could to get their little girl back home, to bring her back home. And so after, like, a year, the, um, the judge uh, gave the green light and said, all right, it's time. And it's, I remember handing this little girl back into the arms of her father at my front door. And my, son, my oldest son, who was seven at the time, uh, told me it was the first time he'd ever seen me cry. Now I cry all the time, but it's the first because we wept that day. Of course it's hard, guys. But we don't show compassion because it makes us feel good. My friend, he says he says you don't you don't foster you don't foster to get a child for your family. You foster to give your family to a child. See the difference. 
But again, that's true with, that's true with any expression of compassion. Like you don't show compassion to, to get something for yourself, a nice, you know, a nice good feeling or a nice pat on the back. You show compassion to give yourself to something. But, but if we are willing to do that, like if we are willing to embrace both the, the pleasures and the joys that are sure to come, as well as the, the cross and the sacrifice that is sure to come, it's incredible to think about the, the impact that we can make. Let me share one more before I believe. Um, this is the third one. We can put it up here because I can't remember the wording. There we go. Our investment in the lives of the vulnerable can bring long-term impact. Here's what I mean. Even if you have no idea around child welfare, kids, any of this stuff, um, you, you probably get this. Kids who grow up without a stable, healthy environment are far more susceptible to all kinds of issues as they grow older. Uh, so, for example, um, if a kid ages out of the foster care system and um, is not placed into a loving, stable home, about a third will end up on the streets. About half will develop a substance addiction. More than half will have PTSD. You're actually, you're actually twice as likely to have PTSD as a child in foster care than a war veteran that's gone through combat. Twice as likely, can I say that again? <laughs> twice as likely to have PTSD as a foster kid than, than a war vet that's actually experienced active combat, been shot at, because of all that these kids have gone through. Uh, the FBI did a study uh, um, several years ago. They said that uh, about 60% of the kids that they've been rescuing from human trafficking here in the States come from foster care. 60% come directly from the child welfare system. Suicidal tendencies for youth in foster care are four times higher than the average youth. Like, I could, we could honestly spend the rest of our afternoon, evening, just talking stats. But here, here's my point. Like, here's, here's what we realized. We realized, like, we, we needed churches and nonprofit organizations and individuals that are addressing all of those things you see on the screen, like the homelessness issue and the lack of employment and poor education and, 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 and incarceration numbers and uh, sex trafficking. Like, we need, all, we need IJM banging down doors and rescuing men and women who are being trafficked right now. We need more people in the Tenderloin in the city, in St. James Park down in San Jose, like addressing the homelessness issue and the lack of employment. We need that. We need more of it. But what if in addition to that, you also go upstream and you care for the kids before they enter into those issues? So like, what would the stats in Santa Rosa and Sonoma County and the Bay Area look like in 20 years if every single child that entered into foster care today was immediately placed into a loving, Christ-centered home? So we say this all the time. This sounds like a cheesy cliche, forgive me, but it, we say all the time the best way to see a transformed Bay Area tomorrow is if we care for vulnerable kids today. Um, so I want to share with you how you might be able to be a part of that if God stirs something in your heart. Before we do that, I would love for us to be able to watch uh, a quick video where you can be able to hear the story of a life who has actually been changed by a family that stepped forward. So why don't you watch this with me?
Well, as Josh said, there are a couple of uh, key ways you can get involved. And again, Foster City is such a, a, a big part of refuge. A lot of this will probably be just a reminder for you, but indulge me here. Um, if you are interested in learning more about uh, being a foster parent, actually exploring what that might look like for you, um, we would love for you to, to, to come and see us at the table. There's a, a next step card that you can just fill out. Uh, if you fill that out, I promise you nobody is going to send you a foster kid tomorrow. All we're going to do is we're going to send you an email, okay, this week that's going to tell you about an, uh, an interest meeting where you can learn a little bit more. Uh, take about an hour or so, and we'll kind of dive a little bit deeper into what that looks like. Foster, fostering is not for everybody. In fact, it's not for most of us. Again, so you can breathe a little bit. Um, we know that. Um, but as Josh said, there is another really significant uh, way that you can make an impact, um, and that is by becoming what we call a support friend. Uh, you see, one of the primary reasons why there is a shortage of foster parents in Sonoma County and really across the country is because foster families don't make it very long for all the reasons we've already talked about today. It's really hard. Um, in fact, uh, nationwide, more than half of foster families will drop out within their first year. What changes that is if a foster family takes their journey in the context of community. And that's what we call our support friends, our support friend team. So here's what a support friend is. A support friend is like, man, like, man, this breaks my heart. It breaks my heart that there are kids in my neighborhood, my community, that are separated from their biological families and, and, are, and are struggling and in need and scared and alone. I, I want to do something, but I'm not in a, in a season where I personally can foster. But what I can do is I can bring some meals. I can come and mow a lawn. I can come and babysit so the foster parents can get a date night and get refreshed and recharged. I, I, can, I can pray. I can send encouraging notes. I can come and offer a ride. I can provide some meaningful support. That's what a support friend does. And that, that's what drastically changes the retention rate for foster families is when they've got a support friend that comes in and supports them with practical and emotional and spiritual support. It helps them to foster longer and better. And so for every foster family we raise, we, we raise up, we're hoping to see at least four households that will come alongside them and provide that meaningful support to be able to help them. As, as the Bible says, bear the burdens and share the joys. So if you're interested, come back again. Same thing. Fill out that next step card. We want to invite you to that interest meeting. We've got interest meetings coming up where you can take about an hour of your life. That's really the ask. Would you be willing to give an hour to just explore what it might look like for you to play a role and actually help kids and families? These kids and families matter so deeply to the heart of God. Um, I am sure that I'm over my time. So let me wrap up with this. Um, I told you that... Uh, I wanted to call today's uh, conversation remarkable compassion. And I picked that phrase pretty, pretty intentionally. We talked about what the word compassion means. Let me tell you what the word remarkable means. Um, remarkable means you're able to remark on it. Um, in, other words, um, in other words, it's worth talking about. So like I was in the Midwest, early, I flew out to Oklahoma earlier this week for something, and when I got there, I was talking to my wife. She's like, how was your flight? I said, oh, it's fine. Like, the opposite of remarkable is not bad or terrible. The opposite of remarkable is, it's fine. It's fine. It's like, it's not worth talking about. Okay? Um, your life was meant to be worth talking about. You were meant to live a remarkably compassionate life. Not fine. Just okay. Not, not really bad. Not really good. Just fine. Because in Matthew 5, Jesus says, let your light shine before others that they might see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So whether it's foster care or if it's some other expression of compassion, when, when the watching world looks into your life and when they, when they look into this church, when they see the way that you spend your time, 
and they, when they see the way that you spend your money and your talents, guys, when they see the way that you are, that you are spending the few fleeting moments that we have on this planet, guys, it's so fast. When they see the few fleeting moments that we have on this planet, the way that you're spending that time, does it cause them to respond to give glory to Jesus? That's what he's calling you into. That's what he's calling me into. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for this church and these years of just faithfulness and the, the lives that have been impacted by um, their generosity and compassion and service and sacrifice. God, I thank you for, for the leadership here. I thank you for so many that have opened up their hearts and their lives to those who are in need. God, I pray for more. We pray for more. God, I pray that this, this church would continue to, to be a light to the community around. And God, that you would be honored and glorified. We love you. We praise you. Thank you for this church. In Jesus' name, amen.